The retail industry is the largest private sector employer in the country. Mm -hmm. It employs around 3 million people. Um, and there is no doubt that the, the makeup of the majority of those people is a complete, diverse, beautiful representation of society as a whole up and down the country. But, 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 but when you get to those more senior levels, then some of the statistics aren't quite so palatable. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics they talk, we listen. My guest today has worked with retailers for over 30 years. She's passionate about diversity and inclusion within the industry and accelerating the industry's journey to net zero. In 2016, she received an OBE for services to the retail industry and is currently on the advisory board for a British fintech charity organization. This is the retail series on Headstalk where we discuss with leaders in the sector about the current topics of the day. But before we get into that, here is a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. My name's Chrissy. I'm co founder and chief mixologist at Bird and Blend Tico. I know Elaine loves our tea and makes weekly recommendations to you so you can enjoy whilst listening to this fabulous podcast. We're an eco-conscious, independent, people-focused and award-winning tea mixology company on a mission to spread happiness and reimagine tea. We now have 14 stores across the UK and over 100 blends to choose from, so there's something for everyone. From our traditional Great British Cuppa and Builder's Breakfast Brew to fun flavours like chocolate digestives, rhubarb and custard and strawberry lemonade, you'll be sure to discover the perfect cuppa for you. Check us out online. You can take our tea matching quiz. It's www.birdandblendtea.com and it'll find the right tea for you. Or please do pop into one of our stores and meet some of the team and they will help you out. Thanks for your time and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's talk podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. In January 2013, Helen Dickinson became the Chief Executive Officer of the British Retail Consortium where she and her team set the strategic direction of the organization. At the time, she brought more than 20 years expertise in business strategy and planning, corporate finance, auditing, stakeholder management, and communication, having previously held the role of the UK head of retail at KPMG. Helen is passionate about social mobility causes, women empowerment, and diversity and inclusion in retail. We will talk about this further in the course of this discussion, as Helen is an ambassador to a number of organizations and charities. Finally, she is a known media commentator on issues and developments in the industry and is a regular at events and conferences. 
there's a lot to cover. Let's start this conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Helen to Head Start. Many thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Elaine. Hi, everybody. Okay. Okay, once again, Helen, really pleased to have you on the podcast um, for this series and happy to gain some insights from the, the British Retail Consortium about, among other things, the retail industry today, um, what changes are needed, what changes are happening, and um, a vision, for, uh, sort of a vision of the future with all that entails. Um, let's start with you telling my listeners all about the British Retail Consortium. When was it established? Why was it established? <laughs> and what is the current role of the organisation? So it, it was established about 30 years ago through the merger of different trade associations in the retail industry that existed at that time. And over the subsequent 30 years or so, we've been working with our members. So we are a membership organization that covers all shapes, sizes, types of retail businesses, those that have stores, those that operate online, everything in between, food, clothes, furniture. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we really aim to do is tell the story of the industry, tell the story of, of retail, and work with our members to drive positive change and use the expertise that we have within the BRC and within those member businesses to, to influence mainly governments, uh, but also other stakeholders to... to mm -hmm facilitate the industry to be the best that it can be and to to serve its customers as well as it can. So, so, so what is the size in terms of membership numbers? So we have around 200 retailers, sort of names that you would probably recognise uh, that uh, many of us shop with day in, day out. Mm -hmm. We also have some trade associations who themselves have got um, some of them up to 5,000 members. So a lot of the independent, smaller retail businesses mm. are indirectly members through those trade associations who are themselves members of the BRC. Mm. Okay, okay, thanks for that. Okay, uh, this next one is a topic that you are focused on and dare I say very passionate about. Uh, that is uh, the diversity and inclusion. Uh, this is something that affects all sectors but, but for this series, I'd like um, to know the current status at play here. So is the retail industry a leader amongst other industries in this area? If yes, why? If not, why not? Well, it depends which bit of it you look at, I suppose, is the, uh, the hedged answer to that question. So the retail industry is the largest private sector employer in the country. Mm -hmm. It employs around 3 million people. Um, and there is no doubt that... The, the makeup of the majority of those people is a complete, diverse, beautiful representation of society as a whole up and down the country. The industry mm -hmm. employs a lot of young people. Often for many, it's their first um, uh, opportunity and uh, place in the world of work. Uh, and it provides a real stepping stone for, for many to, to come in at, at lower levels and to be able to progress right through the industry to, to much more senior levels. Many of the retail leaders today are people who started, um, Steve Rowe comes to mind, he's the outgoing chief executive of Marks and Spencers. I only mention him because he had his leaving due last week. He's been working mm -hmm. in m and on and off for 40 years and he started as a Saturday boy. So 
became group CEO after all those 40 years taking many different roles within an organization. So there's a real opportunity to progress. There's a real diversity of, of workforce because it really represents the society that the industry serves. But, 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 but when you get to those more senior levels, then some of the statistics aren't quite so palatable. And what we see is that uh, women only make up about 30% of board and executive committee places. Uh, ethnic um, minorities are within uh, about sort of five or 6% of senior levels, whereas across society as a whole, that's over 10%. So that's underrepresented. A third of, uh, sorry, get my statistics right, 15% um, mm -hmm. of retail boards are all men and 69% have uh, a CFO, CEO, chair, triumvirate that's also all male. So there's a lot of, um, opportunity I guess or a lot of issue there to mm -hmm. address in mm -hmm. terms of some of those more senior levels but the the, so the backbone to able to achieve it given that there is yeah. so much diversity right across the industry it's possible to address but there is still an issue there so there's a bit so there's quite a bit to do what do you see being done thus far well, what we have been focused on over the last couple of years is really shining the light on some of the data, because I think what gets measured gets seen, what gets seen gets changed. Uh, so we uh, undertook some research for the first time last year that created some of those statistics that I quoted. And on the back of that, many of our membership have come mm -hmm. together to work with each other to try and assess between the various businesses what best practice looks like, how they can uh, learn from, from each other in order to drive positive change. They've signed up to a, a charter that we've created mm -hmm. uh, and are, are doing that collaborative work to look at everything from all the lenses of diversity, sexual orientation, social mobility, neurodiversity, gender, uh, ethnicity, as well as all the processes and things in organizations that need to have the light shone on them to assess whether or not <clears throat> they are inclusive um, in the way that they need to be from the way that businesses actually recruit people, how they uh, measure and manage performance, how um, mm -hmm. uh, they reward people. And the idea is that we are really working with them to, to, to look at uh, what works well and for people to be able to learn from each other. So, so the conversations are happening and you've said many of your members have signed up to a charter. Um, is there a sort of a revisit at the end of a period to see if actual actions have been taken? There is indeed. And as we speak, the um, next round of research is underway and nearing completion. What we've uh, done this year is, <coughs> is actually extended. So we're not just looking at what is happening at senior levels, but we're looking at 
one level down, two level down as well to see where the, um, uh, the pinch points, if you like, are in mm -hmm. the pipeline. Uh, and there is um, a, a plan over the coming, over this summer where that research will be published and we'll be able to compare and contrast how the industry has moved since last year. Uh, I think the good news is from the early data that I've seen coming out of it is that there is much more focus on diversity and inclusion right across the industry, which I guess is a theme that you'll probably be finding across many, many other industries. Mm -hmm. And that we are starting to see some of those dials beginning to shift, um, particularly at the, the levels below, you know, mm -hmm. one or two mm -hmm. below the executive committees. But mm -hmm. uh, it, I, I say beginning to shift because it, you know, while it might be moving in the right direction, there is still a way to go. But so, so what are the, the good results you're seeing in terms of when we do get the diversification in the in the boardroom, what are the results you're seeing for you, you don't have to name the organization if you don't want to, but in terms of having that in place, because we hear about the stats, we hear about the data, what, what are the good results that's coming out of this? Well, I think what I would point to is the sorts of things that um, many businesses are, are, are doing to uh, to get to get those um, workforce surveys where they get great engagement feedback from their their teams uh, and I think the the sort of um, uh, areas that, that many are looking at is creating uh, lots of different um, their focus groups or special interest groups or everybody's got a different name for them but for different um, people across businesses so a lot of those have been um, working well with, with many companies. Mm -hmm. uh, what also people are really doing much more of is having a much more sort of open feedback mechanism where people are feeling uh, more valued and listened to. So putting some process around that so it's not so ad hoc and just you know, uh, on a, uh, the idea of one particular senior member of the team but actually becomes something that's done on a regular basis and where the people within the business can actually see and hear about not just what they fed back, but also what was done and uh, action that was taken on the back mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the employment processes, quite a lot of work has been done around um, looking at things like job adverts to make sure that they are much more um, flexibility open. Mm -hmm is trying to sort of summarize it in a, in a mini sentence, um, social media communication networks that are being created. So a lot of um, individual things, which when you look at them individually, you, you kind of wonder whether or not they will make that much difference. But when you take them all together and a business is really thinking about how they all do fit together, then you can start to see traction being gained. Mm, okay, okay. Um, let, let's move on um, now for some some of the current news in in the sector, especially if you reside in the UK. Um, we are we're well aware of the sort of the rising cost of living, inflation, fuel, energy costs, etc. So retail specific here. Um, let's talk about the pressing hot topics. What are they, 
and please elaborate on them. Well, the big uh, topic that comes up pretty much in every conversation that I have with a senior leader in the in industry is about inflation. Mm -hmm. um, and there are many sort of aspects to that. Uh, firstly, the, the customer aspect, so the squeeze on people's disposable income, yeah. what that means for the products that any particular business might sell. And that's very different uh, if you're in a category like furniture, mm -hmm where that's perhaps a, uh, a more discretionary spend compared to something like food that is in the, you know, we've all got to eat, so uh, uh, it's, it's not quite so discretionary at all. Yeah. Um, so, so what will happen to consumer demand? And certainly what we've seen over the last couple of months is retail sales starting to slow because uh, there was a bit of a boost on the back of the sort of the economy reopening and mm. in inverted commas end of the pandemic during the course of last year so there is a a, a um a, a, a reasonable level of of anticipation about what might happen to that demand over the coming weeks and months mm -hmm. so that's the customer perspective and then also the other the other angle on the inflation is is for the business itself and how they manage their own inflation so Mm. The, the challenge that they talk about there is how multifaceted it is in that it's pretty much coming from, from every angle, from the cost of freight that's coming from the Far East to the cost of people within businesses given the inflationary pay rises that uh, people are needing in order to be able to maintain their cost of living to the any cost of actual the physical goods and commodities that go into making them mm -hmm. uh, putting costs up for them so how much of that business inflation they then are able to absorb through taking a hit to profits or through finding efficiencies or um or at the end of the day having mm -hmm. to pass them on to their customers so it's a real balancing act across all of those things that is is what is keeping many of those retail leaders? Okay. Uh, I was going to say awake at light. I should probably say um, super busy at the moment. Yes. Yes. And and can you think of uh, another one as well? One of the, another hot topic. A what? Sorry. Another hot topic um, that you're currently talking about in in the retail. Another hot topic. I mean, you touched on it um, briefly earlier. I think the whole um, environmental and sustainability yeah. agenda. So the that part of, of, of ESG, many companies now have made public commitments about what it is that they are aspiring to do. Certainly from an industry point of view, the, um, the impact of the products that we as individuals, as members of the public buy, is about a third of our household emissions. Mm -hmm. So there is a real opportunity there for the industry to drive change and you know make a real significant contribution to the to the road to net zero is, is, yeah is, a is big there... proportion of customers want help in being able to make better choices uh, but at the moment there is a perception that what by doing that that they're you know having to give up something on price in that uh, you know, yeah. things that are more sustainable and more expensive yeah. so the industry has got a, a lot to do to 
help people make those better choices and make the investments in that are needed to to help the business and therefore society the country to move towards net zero so that is a topic also that comes up a lot i was going to ask um has that not so much taken a back seat but has that slowed because of inflation because of um retailers as well as consumers prioritizing um as a result of that that's a really great question i i think we're at a what's the good word pivot point as to whether or not that will or won't happen mm. i hope it doesn't it hasn't yet but i think brace yourself sort of the nature of yeah your question there is a risk that it might so so i i really you know i'm i'm all the in conversations i'm having i'm you know trying in a nicely mm -hmm. understated way because mm -hmm. obviously we can't tell our members what it is that they should be doing because they yeah. make much better choices about what's best for their business but really encouraging people to keep that top of mind because mm -hmm. it's it's going to be here when the, all that inflation and the impacts of the ukraine war on inflation that we were talking about earlier have hopefully abated then you need to drive environmental change is still yeah. going to be here so you've got to get started now because mm. some, some of the guests i've spoken to re retailers have said that you know it's starting to feel like a luxury it's starting to feel like a nice to have because of inflation and you know it's costly if we we need to work on the circular economy so it's almost as if something has to give in terms of survival and as as you say hopefully that's not one of them one of the things i wanted to ask you about uh, briefly because i'm conscious of the time and i'm conscious of your time is you know we, we're always reading about this every time and i just want to know is it a real issue a temporary issue or just a headline grabber the death of the high street is that happening um i think what we're seeing is the a a a re reinvention a reimagination of of what the high street can become so it is in the midst and in some places that is a pretty painful process because mm -hmm. there is the the national average is about 14 percent of of retail space up and down the uk is empty mm -hmm. in some parts of the country that is as high as 20 25 30 percent mm -hmm. um and really what from a retail point of view many businesses still absolutely have and want to continue to invest in their stores but they also are investing much more in their digital offer mm -hmm. and connecting those two channels with each other mm -hmm. so overall we are going to see fewer physical stores but that doesn't mean that there won't be any retail on high streets up and down yeah. the country. Yeah. There absolutely will. Yeah. And it's such a key part for so many businesses. And what it also means is that we need to think much more broadly about what the high streets of the future should and can look like. And that is a conversation that includes retail, but takes you beyond it. Mm. Many of the other topics that are, you know, quite, uh, um uh, top of mind at the moment talking about more housing uh more care in the community uh, uh as well as more mm. leisure and culture and um entertainment in our in our local communities which have all proved you know so critical to us 
yeah. in periods of lockdown that seems so long ago. I think a lot of people, I don't know about you, but I certainly recognize you know, the importance of my local community to me you know, when you spend so much more time in it uh, and therefore that, that need to really consider what the, the, the high street of the future should look like is, is vital. And that's, I think, the conversation we should be having rather than mm. sort of seeing yeah. it as death and destruction of the high street. Would, I suppose you would say that that's a pandemic effect it made us start to look at our communities and the people around us rather than uh, sort of wider. I, I think what's interesting about this series and the people that I'm talking to, um, when they talk about the retail on the high street, a lot of them are saying that it's a retail plus, which means they, there's a social aspect about yeah. it that they're developing. And you know, as you talked about, you said you talked about cinemas, you talked about other aspects to it. It's more than just shopping and buying. It's, it's sort of like a, a sort of an end-to-end um, holistic, even health they've included in that as well. And then if you talk to another batch, you'll say from the beginning of the year, the e-commerce um, boom has slowed considerably and people are getting out and actually physically going to their shops so I don't know it, it depends on where you are and who you talk to it, you get a sort of a very different story yeah although I think you know there's it I think the the risk is that we we sort of default to thinking about it's either shops or online and they're mm. two separate things so I think all your comments there are, um, are pretty much on the money in the sense of um, actually they're not two separate things. They are becoming more and more connected. And so the future of, of many, many shops will be about the interrelationship with digital, the fact that it isn't just about a physical mm -hmm. purchase or transaction, but is much more you know, a place that you want to go to be entertained, yeah. to do yeah. something fun, yeah. uh, and to, to, be, to be back to the community thing, to be part of the community. Yeah. And that, yeah. therefore... You know, gives a much broader purpose to, yes. to that, and to service. that space as we look forward. And I think that's the sort of thinking that, uh, that many businesses are grappling uh, mm. with at the moment and that the, uh, that the, um, the pandemic really accelerated yeah. because for lots of businesses, they were closed for so many months and it caused mm. them to really rethink, you know, what their business model mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. does want to look like in the future and how they do connect up yeah what was it for, what's, interesting, and what's interesting as a result of the pandemic and many of these businesses had to develop their their online offering probably because it was non-existent for some but had to further develop it and at the same time people wanted to get out so the irony of the whole thing is it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's a crazy time that we're living in at the moment. And, and ju just to add to this, and, and it's pretty much a, a, sort of a, a, a UK only effect. Um, is, is there a Brexit effect here? I mean, and if so, is it a positive or a negative one? And what's happening? Well, what's happening is many, um, many smaller businesses uh, are exporting less to mm. uh, to Europe than they were before because of the the paperwork that they need yeah. Yeah. to uh, undertake in order to be able to do that. So that's not such good news. Um, we also are seeing um, the the increase in processes as goods are coming into the country. So that is you know, putting admin mm. and resource needing to be dedicated to 
to addressing that from, a, um, from an imports point of view. And then the third thing I would highlight is we've got the big gigantic question mark about what happens to trade between Great Britain and Northern Ireland on the back of all the discussion on the protocol. So for, for those businesses that have operations in Northern Ireland, mm -hmm. what happens there is going to be, is going to be very critical. Uh, what we have, we haven't really seen yet is the, the, the sort of upside opportunity yeah. for any of the, yeah. the things that were talked yeah. about pre, um, uh, well, on the back of the, the referendum around, mm -hmm. um, around international trade more widely. Mm -hmm. And I guess some of that has been slowed, mm -hmm. know, again, because of the pandemic. Diverting and also the, the current yeah. conflict, I assume, and also the current conflict that's happening at the moment in Ukraine, that's not yes, either. Yes, yes, no. yes. Okay. Um, pushing ahead, I want to get this last question in, and that's a, that's a question asked to all of the guests in the, the series. Um, what is the solution that you think has yet to be developed but sits firmly within the retail world once available? Um, I think I would come back to the net zero aspiration of... of Mm. of an ambition of getting to net zero for the industry by 2040. There, there are a million solutions that need to be created in order to achieve that aim. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is the, those, those are the ones that we need to, 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 to work to find. Those are the ones that do require collaboration between retail businesses, between retailers and their suppliers, mm -hmm. and between industries not just retail uh, but retail and other industries and government so I, I think that they're, they're they're the solutions that we need to be seeking mm. Helen Dickinson OBE delighted to have you on the show many thanks for your time and insights and that was great bye-bye Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.